much of the team. Their heart for, for kids and, well, we're, we're blessed to have them. Well, good morning, family. To those of you here, well, we have a, we're growing on Sunday morning, aren't we? And, uh, and out there, I know as well, um, glad that you're here with us, those of you online. Um, that has also um, been multiplying over the last few months, and so we're grateful that there are more people hearing God's word and sharing with us and joining us, so God is good. Would you pray with me and ask for God's help as I, as I feed you God's word? Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to open your word. It's such a, a gift to us, and I pray that you know we have. And so that's one of the reasons why the scripture, the Bible, you know, the Bible would be a lot shorter if all it did was give us the things that we have. You know, we just had a list of all the good things, you know, that God has done and that we can, that we can in, in, enjoy in our Christian life. It'd be a really short, be a, you know, it'd be a list, you know, a kind of a dot list of all the things. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be uh, transformative in our lives. And the reason why the scripture is written by the Holy Spirit the way it is, is so that we understand how we got there and what we have and why it is that we can stand on these things. And that's, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, um, that's some of the things that are there. And, and to do that, you have to go into, you have to talk about, you know, some of the, the uh, Old Testament uh, uh, situations and things that really is foreign to us. Like when we talk about the law of the Old Testament and we talk about the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament and if we, we talk about the, um, we, we talk about, like for instance, as, as we will a little bit, um, we talk about the temple and how the temple um, ceremonies and those kinds of things are there. To, to many of us, that's just like, well, that's just kind of get to the good stuff, you know? That's just so foreign to us. We have no idea. And yet the Bible puts all that in there. And I think it puts all that in there so that we, have, uh, we, have, we can contextualize the truth and we can stand on it with a greater depth of understanding. So we're looking at, at chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. And let me give you what we're going to look at is the reason why, two reasons why we have two wonderful things that God has given us. And those two wonderful things will, are going to help us tell us what we need to have or what we, what we need to do because we have these two wonderful things. Okay? If that doesn't confuse you, um, I'll get further. Okay? Let's... <laughs> Let's just go into Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19, and we'll start off with the word, therefore. And you say, are you going to stop there? Yeah, I am, actually. I'm going to stop at therefore, because wherever there's a therefore, you have to know what the therefore is, therefore. And, and so he's given us a therefore, and the therefore, basically there's two, two um, reasons why he's going to share what he's going to share. One is found in verse 14, uh, uh, earlier, and verse 17. Verse 14 says this. 
But for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He's saying, he's saying what I'm going to tell you, because of this therefore, because of this therefore, you are perfected, if you are a follower of Christ, if Jesus' blood has cleansed you, you are perfected forever. Forever. And he says, for those who are being sanctified. Well, that seems like a contradiction. Because if I'm perfected, why do I need to be sanctified? Well, I'm being sanctified. That means that God is transforming me practically. But my stance with God is a perfect stance as I stand perfect in Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all of my sin, I stand fully perfect in the presence of God. And, and he is, because he has not only perfected me, he is transforming me. You know, I, I appreciate the transformation that's going on. It's a... Are we working? Okay. Is that better? My, my voice sounded squeakish. Was it really high-pitched? Yeah, it was. I was speaking that way. That's what it was. I'm getting all excited. Ah. Get it down to earth here. Look, the, the, the point is that we are, we are being sanctified. We're being transformed. He, he that began a good work in you shall perform it. So are you noticing the transformation? Some of, sometimes it seems like it's real slow. Sometimes it seems like we're going backwards. But God is always working on you and me. We're always going to be getting better because of Christ's work in us, right? And sometimes that better feels bad. I, you know, the, I had, I actually had this last week, one of those weeks, it's a rare thing, um, that I, I had one of these weeks where I was just, it's like the Lord just kind of opened up more stuff of, in my life that I don't like. I mean, some attitudes and some, and, and, and I was like, I felt really dirty. And one of the, I think the Lord waits sometimes till you really get the idea of his cleansing to start doing that. Because if you don't understand his cleansing and you go through that, you don't get over it. You just kind of live in kind of, ugh, where did that come from? Where was that thought? How did that get into my motives and my attitude? How did that get there? But because of the cleansing work of Jesus, you know how to bring it before God and ask for his cleansing and have him start to work. And, you know, that's a never-ending process while we're on earth. We have a sinful flesh in which God is going to periodically. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful. It's not every day. I'm really glad. I can handle that on a daily basis. But periodically, the Lord will just show me. And, and you know, I, I had some things that the Lord wanted to clean out. And, and the way you do that is you truly repent. You know, a lot of people don't know how to repent. Repent means to turn and go the other way. And it means, and it should cause a breaking in our heart. And it did in mine. I, I was really brokenhearted about it. I said, Lord, I, I you know, and, and, I, and I don't need to go into how, but just in, in a, a brokenness before the Lord. And I, I realized, you know, I thought I was perfect by now, but I, <laughs> obviously it's not true. But we, the, we've been, we're being sanctified. And listen, because of that, and here's the second one, verse 17. He says, then he adds, 
Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So not only made us perfect in him, but all of our sins, God says, I'm not going to remember them anymore. Now, if God's going to forget them, they're forgotten. And we can count on that. And if he cleanses us, our sins are forgotten. We don't have to look back anymore at our failures. Stop living in regret. Start moving forward. Now, he says that, okay, this is the therefore. So he said, let's read on in the text. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So because of these things, he says that, that we have something. He, and, and it's interesting, this the, the original language here, having, means it's something you already are partaking in. It's something you already have. It's not something in the future you're looking to get. It's something that you already have. You already have a boldness to enter into. Now, that boldness in some of us really needs to grow. We really need to understand that we're, we have this opportunity to enter into the very presence of God. And that should mean something to everybody, Right? But especially it would have meant so much to those who understood what it meant to go into the holiest of holies. You see, that's why you build this foundation. We, we would just be told, it, you get a chance to go in the very presence of God, and that means something. But to, to these Hebrews that he was talking to, that, meant so, that, that, that had another level of meaning to them. Because in their world, where they grew up, there was, a, there was a temple in which God manifested himself to human beings. But God didn't manifest himself everywhere. He manifested himself to a group of people who would carry the message of the gospel. And he manifested himself in this way. And God was so incredibly gracious that once a year, a special man, a high priest of the children of Israel could go in to the very presence of God and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice to cover the people's sin, all the people of the land, cover their sin for another year. And once a year, he got to, can you imagine this? He got to go into the very presence of God. Now, he did it tentatively because of his sins himself. If he had not sacrificed, if he was not truly repentive, being sinful himself, if it wasn't covered by the sacrifices that were made for him in his sins, and he walked into the presence of God without that protection, the very presence of God, his body couldn't handle it. He would be consumed and he would die on the spot. So they would tie a rope around his leg. They had bells around their, his garment. And if the bells stopped ringing, they dragged him out. But it was still an incredible, incredible opportunity to go into the very presence of God. And if he could survive that, he could come out and have seen the glory of God right there in the Holy of Holies. Now, the writer is writing people who understand that fully. And now he says this, you can have boldness yourself 
anytime you want to come into the Holy of Holies and not fear like the high priest of being struck down because of your sin. You get to go in and sit on your daddy's lap and talk to him. Does that mean something a little bit more than, hey, you can just go talk to God? Yeah, when you understand. what that, that was hard to even grasp for them. That possibility now is so amazing. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the all you know, sufficient, holy God says, come on in. But it's not just come on in. It's not just come on in. He says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. So he made it, he consecrated it through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the veil that is his flesh. When he died on the cross and that veil was ripped in the temple from top to bottom so that it signified the, the entrance for each and every one of us to be able to come into the very presence of God. And God did that. God, God inviting us in, you see. He's saying, I want you to be here. And having a high priest over the house of God, that means Jesus is our high priest who stands on our, on our behalf. So he does that. He says, having all that, and there's three points I want you to take home with you. The first one is this. It says, let us draw near. I want you to notice there's three let us, not let us. Um, let us. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart. See, what. What is this openness what, that God is inviting us in? Because he wants us to draw near to him. He wants us. You've heard Christians say, listen, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Because, see, God's desire is that we draw near to him. He wants us to be close. He wants us to, he wants us to have relationship with him. He he. he he revealed himself as a heavenly father to us, you see, and a loving savior to us. And he revealed himself in that way because his desire is not to be, you know, uh, uh, just, just simply a kind of business or religious relationship. He wants it to be a family relationship. The reason he says, I'm your father. I want you to see me as your father. The reason Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son that, you know, ran away from his father, ran away from his family and backslid and then came back. And what he found was his father waiting for him. And then once he sees him, he runs after him. He runs to grab him and embrace him and to love him. And he's telling us this is why this is the heart of the Father who's opened the door for us to come into the presence of God any time we want. But he's yearning for us to come into his presence. He, he doesn't want a religious relationship. He wants a family relationship. You understand? And so 
for many, unfortunately, the, the best we've gotten is a religious relationship where God is someone who we ask for things and hopefully he answers us, hopefully he hears us, hopefully he does something for us. I'm so glad that my family, I'm so glad that my kids don't just talk to me when they want something. They did when they were younger. <laughs> you know, there, there was a season, right? But as they grow and mature, and that becomes more of a relationship. And, and the Father wants us to grow up into a relational family relationship with him. So he asks of us to draw near to God. We'll, with, see, he says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Full assurance. In other words, we're not coming in tentatively to God. We come with full assurance having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our conscience, how many times have you crossed over your conscience? How many times have you made choices that were contrary and you got that sense that your conscience, well, your conscience is, is just part of it. It's, it's not necessarily the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the conscience can be seared, but... But we all have had to, at times, cover that and, 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 uh, and go over that. And yet our conscience is sprinkled and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And our bodies washed with pure water. See, in other words, even though we have a sinful flesh, we have been forgiven, even in our flesh. And, uh, and we, as we're going to do next service, some folks are getting baptized and... That is, um, that, that is that symbol of the cleansing work of the Lord. So let us draw near. The second one is, let us hold fast. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So let me ask you, when's the last time you confessed to somebody else? You confess the promise of God, that you, you've confessed the gift of God, you confess your relationship with God, you confess the sacrifice that Jesus had made for you. When is the last time you confessed? In other words, when's the last time you witnessed? That you communicated? That you shared? Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have the kind of confidence of, that you confess yourself over and over again? That you live in this awesome opportunity in relationship with God. Well, when you draw near to God and that relationship starts growing, you brag about it. You brag about it. Right? I mean, when you love someone, don't you? Didn't that happen? How many of you know, remember when you were dating before you got married? I, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't happen after you're married. But don't, 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 yeah, I mean, when you're, you're so proud of the person you love and, and you're so happy and you break about them, you know, uh, they have flaws, but you don't, you don't really mention the flaws. You talk about how great they are. Aren't they wonderful? You know, God doesn't have any flaws, so you don't have to worry about that. 
The only thing you can do is you should be bragging about your relationship with God in a good way. I'm not prideful, but in a good way. We, we share that. We, we communicate that. And we hold fast to that confession. We never let go of that. That is our confession and hope without wavering because we understand what he has done for us. And then thirdly, let us consider one another. This is the third let us. So we let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. To consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Can I just make this statement to you? I want to make this statement to you. Stop giving bad counsel to people on the phone. What, what bad counsel? The counsel that doesn't stir people to love and good works. That's the bad counsel. Too many Christians are counseling their, their, their friends and so forth, and instead of encouraging them to love and good works, they're giving them bad counsel, negative counsel. They're, giving them, they're telling them things to do that are, so, that are worldly concepts and not biblical. Need to stop. And if you're a listener of bad counsel, you need to stop listening to bad counsel. You know the people you talk to, your friends, and, and you have a problem and you tell them that? I'm going to ask, do your friends lead you to the scriptures and lead you to encouragement, to love, and good works? Are they doing that? If they're not doing that, even though they might give you counsel that makes you feel good for some reason, if they're not doing that, stop counseling with them they can still be your friend but don't tell them your problem to help and ask for their you know their, their advice their advice is bad if it's not biblical blessed is a man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly the bible says so you you need to get you need to get godly counsel stop getting that bad counsel I don't, I, it always surprises me when Christians will get counsel from non-Christians or, you know, or Christians, people who say they're Christians, but their, their life is not reflecting a life that's committed to Christ. It always baffles me, except for I, I do understand that sometimes we choose people who will give us answers that we want to have for the moment but aren't the answers that God would have us have. And he knows what's best. So he says, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we do. We, can, you, can you consider people that you can encourage? There are people who need to hear from you, people who love you. And then he says, get this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. He says, don't forsake the assembly. That's called church. The assembly is church. Don't, in fact, it could be actually placed in that, instead of uh, the, assembly, the word assembly, could actually be replaced with the word church. Don't, don't forsake the church of ourselves together, or the assembly of ourselves together, because as is the manner of some. In other words, don't be like those people. Don't be, and I'm, I'm 
you know, there, there's folks here and there's folks online. I, I, I want to address this. But he says, don't be like those people who forsake the assembly. Because there are people who do that. There are people who boast of it. There are people who say things like, well, I'm not into organized religion. Um, we're, we're not that organized. I just want you to know. But, but that's not, you know, listen, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's his church. So you go, I'm not into his church, is what you're saying. I, I'm really not into his church. I don't think I had a, I, I don't want you know, his church is a mess. Well, it's his church, and it's, it's, it has some imperfect people. But the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly, as a manner of some is. But exhort one another so much the more, even as you see the day approach. I want to talk about, just for a second, I want to talk about not forsaking the assembly. What do you do? And I want to address um, everybody here, but I also want to specifically address those of you who are watching online. Um, which is, I think, more than who's in here by quite a bit. I want to say this. Some of you are in a situation in which gathering at the church just feels too unsafe. And I want to support that in you. If that's the reason why you're not gathering, I honor that. We honor that. I don't want you to come. Please do not come if you feel uneasy about being here at the, at the building and worshiping with us at this season. It is a strange time. It is, in my opinion, the greatest attack that the church has had upon itself in the history of the church in the United States of America, by far. What is happening to the church and the attempt to, to keep us from gathering is causing, and, there are, and what it mostly hinders is those people who are kind of more on the edge, people who aren't quite as strong in their faith, people who are coming and they're just starting to grow, but they haven't come, and then they were cut off from the body of Christ for a long period of time. Many of those people are the people who are suffering the most because their faith wasn't strong enough, and many of those people just have kind of slipped away, and we don't see them. And maybe, hopefully not, but... It's possible that we will never see them again because of what's happened. I, I do not think that what has taken place at, to the church is something that in any way is good. I know God makes good out of bad things, and I believe he will. But, but being part of the body of Christ is essential. But it's not just coming and being together in church. It's how we do it. And even for those of you who are online, I think that that there is a way in which you can get the fullest experience that you can. You cannot get online the kind of experience you can get when you're gathered together. There's, there, there's just no way of getting to that place, but there is a way in which you can get the most out of your experience, whether you're online or here. In fact, you can come to church here and not get the fullness of, your, of the experience. Let me tell you a story, and I might be going over time on this, but let me tell you a story. Um, let me tell you about a man 
uh, that attended this church for four years. And, and two, about two years ago, he went to be with Jesus. And, um, and many of you knew him. We, he, we just knew him as Paul. He was a pastor. Um, in fact, he grew up in a pastor's home. His dad was a pastor. In fact, a very successful pastor and minister. And, and, um, and, and he was a supervisor in, in our movement at one point. His, his father was. So Paul grew up meeting with leaders in our movement and beyond. Um, coming to his dad's house, they 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 were hosp- they they just had people come in, come speak at the church, and he grew up meeting some really famous leaders and speakers. Then he came to the point in which he never wanted to be a pastor, and he talked about how much he fought that, but God wouldn't let him out of it, and uh, and he ended up becoming a pastor, and a very successful pastor. In fact, everywhere he went, the church grew even small town, what have you, until eventually he, uh, he pastored in the, the in, in L.A. area. He pastored for years. He had a tremendous heart for missions. He loved the mission field. He went to, I think he, he went to over 120 countries, and he served and ministered. He would go and preach in some of the largest churches in the world, Thousands and thousands of people into home churches with just a handful of people who was willing as he would go. He loved evangelism. He led people to Christ often. It was just, he did that. You know, he would meet the server at the restaurant and pretty soon that server was coming to Christ. He had a tremendous gift that way. He loved the word of God. And as, at, at a point in, in his ministry, um, he, um, the denomination, our movement, um, decide, decided to appoint Paul as the president of our movement. And so he became kind of the pastor of over 120,000 churches around the world. Many of those leaders Paul knew. He traveled because of his traveling, and he knew the leaders of these nations. He had opportunities to, lead, to meet with dignitaries and leaders and uh, of nations, not just churches, but of nations. He's, he, he, he was able to go and, and meet generals around the world. He's had this incredible life. And then after, at the end of his service as uh, the president, um, Paul, you know, was in kind of in a semi-retirement because he was still being called and asked to go speak around the world and to leaders and so forth, but his health didn't allow him to go quite as often. And I remember the Sunday I was here, and I watched Paul walk into the, this building and sit down in a, in, a ch- in a chair right about that area. And I know because Paul was my friend. He was older than me, and many times when I had major decisions, there were several times when I had major decisions, I called Paul. I would ask him for advice. I'd ask him, you know, tell him the story, ask him if he would pray with me and, and so forth, and he would. I remember one time I had a pretty heavy decision, but it wasn't going to take much, probably about 20 minutes on the phone, and he says, Rick, um, just wait there. I'm coming. And he drove to the church, and we, in 20 minutes, kind of finished our conversation about the decision I was going to make, and then spent the rest of the, the day talking about family and church and sports and things like that. Is my friend. He walked into the building. I remember a little bit nervous. It's Paul Risser. 
he's there in, you know, and I'm preaching and I want to make sure I did a good job and I'm not sure I put in enough study that Sunday. <laughs> and it was interesting because as I'm doing it, Paul had a piece of paper and a pen and he was writing. And I'm going, what is he writing? Is he critiquing me? You know? So half the time I kept looking over there while I was speaking. It ended up Paul came the next week. And for the next four years, Paul became a part of our church. And every week, Paul had a piece of paper. What I found out, it was our, it was our notes from our church. And every week... Paul had extensive notes that he wrote of my sermon. I mean, I asked him what, what he was writing. My wife went and sat next to him one time and saw how he was writing. He would tell her, listen, I'm Rick, that was a good point Rick was making. That's a, and he, he was going. And, every, and then what he did is he took his notes home and he sat down with his wife at dinner and they went over the sermon that I preach on that Sunday morning. Paul his whole life preached. And yet, when, when it came to being not the preacher, but simply a congregation member, I understand why he became a great preacher. He had this passion to learn God's word from whoever brought it forth. And Paul did that. And not only did he do that, not only did he listen and, and, as that, he, he did something I'm not asking any of you to do. Um, because he was asked to speak at periodic at times and go places, and he could only do it once in a while. But whenever he did, you know what he did? He called me and says, Rick, I won't be at church this Sunday. Just want you to know so you don't worry about where I'm at. Um, you know, I'll be back the following week, but I have to go this place. Or I'm speaking at this thing. He had a, he had a consistency in his passion. For the word of God. I was able to be at his bedside. In fact, the, the night he passed, I was at his bedside that day and, and, and walked through the process as he was going through the death process in his life and as he was, you know, having his heart um, lifted toward God. There are several of you who were actually pastored by Paul when, when he was pastoring before. Some of you um, knew him then. But I only bring him up because of the way he did church. We, I would see Paul out there, and one of, the benef one of the people who benefited the most from Paul being at a church was my mom and dad. Because what he would do is he'd come early, and oftentimes my mom and, several, and dad and several other people would be sitting at the table. Paul would always come at least for a little while and sit with them and talk. And he did that with others. He greeted people as they were here. He would come early most of the time. So he could do that. And I tell you that because some people think they don't need it. Probably the guy who needed it the least took advantage of it the most. Because he understood something. So I want to ask you, those of you who are watching, there's ways in which you can enhance, you can serve. For instance, when you go online, start a group. 
You know, there's ways in which you can do that. Invite people to come on with you. Greet people. Check in. Worship. As we're worshiping in here, those of you online, stand up when we're standing and worshiping. Kneel down. You have actually some privileged things you can do. Pray. When I'm preaching, these people here cannot pray out loud. I hope you pray while I'm preaching. But don't do it out loud, please. Those of you at home, you can shout it out. Lord, help that guy. He needs help right now. I pray for him. Anoint him, God. Take advantage of it. Give. Serve. Find ways to connect with people. See, because of the gift of the opportunity, the boldness that God has given us to go into the Holy of Holies. And because we have Jesus, our high priest, draw near, hold fast, consider one another. This is the way we do church. This is the way we do life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What a gift God has given us. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you. And Lord, I ask, and if there's anyone out there that is not, Lord, a follower of you, today they could be. And if you're listening either online or here present in our building, I want to just say to you that if you'll open your heart, Jesus Christ has died for your sins. He made it very simple. You put your faith in the death, the sacrifice he made for your sins, his burial and resurrection, and you make him your savior. By simply saying, Jesus, I choose you to be my Savior. I choose you. I will follow you. I surrender my heart to you. I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sins. Lord, I want to be able to come into your presence. I want to be able to draw near. I want to be able to have a relationship with you. And I ask you, God, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Shall we close in worship? Guys, stand and join us in worship.
your